is the Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Well, hello, rock fans everywhere. Welcome to this episode number 30. Yes, 30 of the Enter Sad Man podcast. As you already know, we're the only hard rock heavy metal show where we review and rate and rank rock's greatest, averagest, and sometimes not sure albums because uh, we're creating that fantastic hard rock and heavy metal hall of fame. Uh, we're everywhere, everywhere you get your podcasts, uh, everywhere you get your social media, so please do search us out. Um, and most importantly, do check us out on www.entersadmen.co.uk where you can find a whole load of good, fun stuff, plus, of course, all of our episodes and specials. We are here at episode 30, and we are going on our world tour, and we have landed in the grand country of Germany. So this episode number 30, we are calling Fight for Your Reich. Get it? Fantastic. Well, I'm Richard, and I'm joined, as always, by my friends Mark and Steve. Good evening, gentlemen. Guten Abend. That's, that's all I know, by the way, so don't expect anything better. Sehr gut. Ich kenne ein bisschen mehr, aber ich habe es in der Schule gelernt. Oh, here we go. Ich bin ein Headbanger. That's all I know. <laughs> Isn't that what Kennedy said? <laughs> Mark, Mark's just reciting Rammstein lyrics, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. So, we, yeah, we, uh, so, uh, so Tico Torres' Tombola of Topics and Themes spat out uh, uh, the country of Germany uh, for... This week, uh, have we had some fun choosing our albums, boys? I have had an absolute ball this week. I've had an absolute ball because I've discovered new stuff. I have rediscovered stuff I hadn't properly discovered before. And I have listened to the early music of a band that I love their later stuff. And I couldn't ever quite work out why I didn't listen to more of their early stuff and I found out why or a little bit of why this week so um not that I didn't enjoy it I really did but it kind of that that sort of you know that the early kind of um the early brush with that band back in the late or early 80s kind of made me thinking okay yeah now I remember why I didn't go and explore more of it at the time but we'll come on to that it was really good really loved it it's been good, yeah. And I'm looking forward to fight for your Reich 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 because I, I love German rock, <laughs> especially from the 80s. There's something very simple about it and a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, they, they knew how to rock, bless them. They knew how to look silly and they knew how to rock. Yeah. And they combined it perfectly. And we've, yeah, so we've chosen, we've come up with one 1970s album and two from uh, Steve's favourite decade. Um, and uh, I'm kicking off first this week because uh, my choice, and one of us had to, uh, because it's the first time that our dear friends, the Scorpions, have are appearing on the Enter Sad Men podcast. So welcome, Scorpions. It's good to have you here. Um, well, someone had to, and I had to think about what it would be good to choose as our first foray into the Scorpions and I've chosen their third studio album, 
which is called In Trance. Steve, what about your choice? Yeah, no, that was that was the fascinating thing. Of all the Scorpions albums you could have chosen, and you chose In Trance, it's going to be a really, really, really interesting conversation. Um, yeah, so I went for an old favourite, Warlock, having done Accept. I think Warlock were next on the list, and I've done Accept in a previous episode. Um, and I've chosen Warlock's third album, True as Steel. And, uh, yeah, and I, I kind of went a bit left field. So I, we, we kind of knew quite early on, didn't we, Richard, that you were going to, you were going to bring something from the Scorpions, and like Steve. It's been really interesting. That's been a really interesting listen. I flirted, uh, as many men of my age did, with Warlock, um, and then thought, oh, I'll do something, do something different. Looked at Halloween, looked at a load of bands, looked at a band called Sinner, who I used to absolutely adore back in the day. Um, looked at Railway, looked at, oh, looked at all sorts. And then I thought, you know what, fuck it. Fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. I am going to go for something I have never heard before by a band I had never heard of before. And so I have, and, and I wobbled badly, boys. <laughs> last, <laughs> last Wednesday morning or whenever it was, I was like, oh, fuck, I've fucked up here. I've, I've, I've bollocked it right up. And I thought, I'm going to have to send a WhatsApp and say, look, I've changed my mind. And I thought, no, I'll give it one listen. Um, I chose Gravedigger's War Games. And I have to say, first listen, I'm thinking, oh, that's I've got a week of this. And by the end of it, by today, I have absolutely loved most of it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Gravedigger's War Games from 1986. Well, should we give everyone a, a little taste? Some of them will, will be well aware of some of this. Anyway, but let's give everyone a little taste of some of what we've been exposing ourselves to this week with the three bands we have chosen to discuss, rate, rank and review. Yeah, okay, so first of our uh, Teutonic trio um, is the Scorpions. And, and and when you said you were doing it, and we kind of knew you would, I'm thinking, great, 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 great. I get to listen to Love Drive or Animal, <laughs> or animal Magnetism. 
<laughs> or love at first sting. I'd have taken any three. But no, Rich, you see that field? You took a left and you went for in trance. So tell us why. Opening album sleeve notes. Yeah, well, I, I went for this because as we've discovered with you know, bands like Judas Priest, it's been fantastic seeing their sort of musical journey in terms of maturity and, and everything. Uh, and so when I look back at all of the Scorpions albums, I wasn't going to choose Love Drive. I wasn't going to choose Magnetism or Blackout or Sting or any of those. It would have been easy just to go for their debut in Lonesome Crow. But I thought, no, when when did the fir- that Scorpion sound that we know and love really first appear? And it was on In Trance. So it was their third studio album. It was recorded in uh, through 1975, released uh, September 95 in, in Europe, and for some reason not till March 76 in the US, uh, on RCA. And it, it was an album of firsts. It was the first album to be produced by Dieter Dierks, who then formed that partnership with them that took them to the very heights through all the stuff like Love Drive and, uh, and Animal Magnetism, etc., it was the first with uh, Rudy Lenners on drums. It was the first that uh, had a risque cover that uh, had to be airbrushed uh, out. So please do seek out the um, uh, early versions of the cover. It's uh, it's it's quite artful, I think. Uh, and it was the first album that really started to have those classic Scorpions ingredients: the Rudolf Schenker riffs, the quiet, loud, Scorpions ballads. And it was the first time you sort of, all that stuff that you know and love about them, that, they, they, that, that those things started to appear. The first two albums were quite almost psychedelic influenced. Um, um, Uli John Roth was a big Hendrix fan and there, there were a lot of those kinds of influences on the first uh, two albums. Uh, but this was sort of the first time they took a step towards that sort of mainstream hard rock of which they became the kings. So um, it was lovely for me to revisit it. Yeah, it's got some some highs and lows, and I'm sure we'll we'll discuss that. Uh, but how, how did you two find it? I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I absolutely enjoyed it. What I, what I found remarkable is that when you look back, you, what I didn't realise was quite how mature as a band the Scorpions already were by the time they chucked out this third album. This was, this was, this was something like their ninth or tenth different lineup since they'd started, which is extraordinary, you know, given that it's only album three. Um, yeah, I, I, I utterly get why you chose it, because it is. That's exactly what it is. It's a stepping stone, isn't it, between two eras. I would suggest it's probably as heavy as anything that was out there in '75. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it. It's not dull. Even 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 the iffy moments are very interesting, um, and because they do go off, you know, referring back to some of their sort of kaleidoscopic proggy, you know, previous life with the with the first two albums. There's, there's elements of that in there, but as you say, there's enough to there's enough to get you to get you to appreciate what's coming further down the line. And to that end, it's um, it's a really interesting... It's an album you've got to listen to. Any Scorpion, any, anyone who likes the Scorpions who hasn't delved this far back, absolutely got to, because this is this is the starting point, isn't it? Yeah. Th- th- this is an album that doesn't really know whether it's Arthur or Martha, mm. does it? You know, it's, it's there's quite a lot of the psychedelic, Lonesome Crow, you know, Fly to the Rainbow stuff 
And you can hear a lot of that on this album. But you've got stuff here that if it had turned up on Love Drive, it wouldn't have been at all out of place, would it? I'm with you, Steve. I think it's a really, really interesting listen. And I watched that you, you two, didn't I, during the week and said, I've got four issues with this album. And, and really, John Roth's vocals um, were the four things. And, yeah, I just, that's the bit I kept coming back to. So I play these in rotation, these albums, and usually there's one where you're kind of not quite looking forward to it quite as much. I really look forward to each time these albums have come around. But every time In Trance turned up, it was like, why? Why is Roth singing on this album? And I don't know, because I, do I, I didn't do the backstory research, but I think what came through for me is this was a band that was at a tipping point. It was at a crux in its, its evolution. And I, I don't know what the history is of Roth's departure, Maybe you've done the research, you can tell us. But it sounds and feels to me like this is a band where there was a, an ego power play going on. And and I think Roth lost because I think he wanted to be the star. And, you know, you listen to Flight of the Rainbow and you listen to Lonesome Crow and same problems were all over those two albums as well. So really, really interesting. A yeah. bit like Stabbing's A Destiny, great to get an insight into what the Scorpions would become later. Um, you know, in the same way that Sad Wings gave us an insight to Juice Priest. Loved it. Really enjoyed listening to it this week. Okay, right. Well, let's get into it then, shall we? And we'll, yeah, we'll talk a bit about the uh, the power plays that were uh, going on at the time. And so, yeah, side one kicks off, the album kicks off with Dark Lady, uh, which promises a lot. Fantastic distorted guitar sounds. Very layered, lots going on, a bit of a wall of noise, really. But as Mark said, about sort of 30 seconds in, we get greeted by not Klaus's voice, but uh, Uli John Roth's. I looked around and tried to find you know, what, what was going on. I mean, at, at, at the time, essentially the members of the Scorpions joined Uli John Roth's band after some, a number of incarnations. Uh, so a band called Dawn Road. Uh, they then got Klaus Minor in, uh, and they decided that they would actually use the Scorpions moniker rather than uh, Dawn Road. So I think, yeah, I mean, for for these early albums, it was very much Uli John Roth's band. But I think, yeah, we're at a point where here where it it still it, he he is still the the, the centre guy. If you look at photos, promo photos, it's him that's the one in the middle. You, you talk about that 30 seconds in, you get Roth's vocals and you're going, what the fuck's going on? And then you get the backing vocal and the only voice you can hear in it is Klaus Miners. And you're going, oh, okay, all's right with the world now because Klaus is back. And and that's how I felt every time we got to a track that Roth sings. Mm. Steve, do you have, have, have you got a different view? I have, Well, funnily enough, I think Roth sings... He's front and centre on a couple of these tracks, isn't he? And I really like his vocals on that track. He reminds me of kind of Mark Boland meets Mika. And I don't mind it at all. I really don't mind it at all. Um, but you can hear when Klaus starts screaming, it's it's almost as if, hello, hello, I'm here, and I'm getting better than you, so watch your back. Son. And also the other thing, of course, about Woody John Roth is the songwriting, because the songwriting is about split about 50-50 on this album, isn't it? He writes about 
his the tracks he writes are appreciably weaker, I think, than the than the tracks he doesn't write. But that said, I do like his vocals on Dark Lady, and I think it's a really good track. I think Dark Lady is a very good song. I think it would be better if Klaus sang it. But <laughs> obviously, hugely biased. Anyway, I, I think it's a, it's a very very good start, but it gives way then to the title track, track two, uh, in trance, which, uh, well, I presume you guys knew this song, this track. It, it just, this is the view of the future, and I've always loved it. Um, you know, it's that, that that quiet, loud Scorpions tradition, Klaus sort of lilting vocals in the verses, uh, and the kick-ass riff in, in the chorus. It's a... Uh, yeah, yeah, welcome to the world. If you love Love Drive, then you'll love this. In my head, as I've been listening to this album, I've played this little vignette in my head where Uli John Roth sing- finishes singing Dark Lady, steps back, and there's a kind of a small interlude where Klaus looks at him in the studio and goes, is that all you've got? And then steps up and does this. And for me... In microcosm, this is this is the difference between mm. Scorpions with Roth, Scorpions with Minor. This set up Klaus Minor and Rudolf Schenker as the, these co-songwriters. That this song came together with the two of them jamming bits and pieces and during sound checks, and they slowly started to put this this thing together. So again, really cementing you know, what what they then went on to do and the, the, all the songs they've written, brilliant songs they've written together. Just be listening to that choral bridge that goes into that absolutely booming outro, which is um, phenomenal. Interestingly, of course, because we're in the 1970s of Mark, Love Drive only had eight, out, eight tracks on it anyway, so we could have just stuck it on as a ninth. That would have been fine, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I echo everything you guys have said. Um, I did like Uli John Ross vocals on Dark Lady, but as soon as you hear this, you, um, you, you appreciate quite why you like Klaus Minor more. Simple as that. And, and, and yeah, this is the sound. Um, and that and that twin guitar sound. I remember we we talked about twin guitars from mm. the seventies. It, it, from the seventies, because we would, I can't remember which episode we were talking about. Probably stained class, I would imagine. And there weren't that many bands who were doing it as big as you know Kiss or Judas Priest or ACDC. And you get it here. That 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 really big twin guitar sound, which is fantastic to listen to. Okay, and we then move on to track three, which is uh, "Life's Like a River," which really continues in in much the same vein, doesn't it? It's uh, For me, it, it, Entrance is so good. I like Life's Like a River, it, it, but, I mean, it's not as good as the track that we conceded. It's, it's, it's not Entrance, is it? That's the problem with it. It's another another slow track, some good chords, class minor being a bit philosophical. It, it reminds me a bit of Always Somewhere at the beginning. Mm. Well, interestingly, I'm waiting for you, for one of you boys to tell me what it sounds like from the first two albums, which I don't know, because I'm guessing there's quite a lot of echoes of the previous two albums in this track, because it does seem quite drifty, a little bit proggy, quite messy, bass, bass line wandering all over the bloody place, which is quite interesting, um, you know, playing it. I don't know. It's loads of emotion from, from mine who hams it up spectacularly, as he does in this sort of song. <laughs> yeah, not unenjoyable, not in trance. So track four of In Trance is top of the bill. I couldn't find whether he did it or not, but I'd like to think this was the first time Rudolf Schenker pulled out the flying V to start us off. It's got that real proper signature riff. And I felt, again, 
in terms of first on this album, this laid a benchmark for some of the you know the heavier tracks they'd come to do, like I don't know, Piece of Meat or Make It Real. There was that that that, that this was uh, you know a big step forward in terms of them producing hard and heavy rock. It's an oddity, isn't it? It's quite strange in some ways. I, I, I do love that guitar line that they, that goes over the top of the riff. I was, was going to say Klaus Miner's sort of straining in parts like he doesn't anyway, but he just seems to be quite a lot on this song, certainly the chorus bits. Crazy guitar solo. You know, you can criticise early John Roth for a few things. You can't criticise him for the way he handles his acts. It's one of two or three songs on this album that it's really quite interesting. And that, that sounds like a criticism, and it's not. It's just a genuine observation. It's, it's the most out of control they get, or it's the most that they feel like they're out of control. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair comment, yeah. Which, which they're probably not, and this is exactly how they wanted it to be. It just, yeah, it just seems a bit breathless. And so side one finishes with another slow and atmospheric song called Living and Dying. And I, I don't know, it's the, I mean, you know, the third of these sort of, styles of song on uh, on this side and um i suppose if there's one thing i'd say about this album they, they could have mixed it up a little more but that's why i say it's an album that doesn't know whether it's arthur or martha it doesn't know whether it's one thing or another and it's almost like it, it's being pulled backwards and forwards every every time you think you're moving forward you they go back mm. it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just it's a bit of a hodgepodge. Makes the album a bit of a hodgepodge. Well, I think I think what you're articulating is everything that I'm thinking, which is that there's a kind of muddle to all of this. But what I would say is that a track like "Living and Dying," I mean, we know the Scorpions like a, a ballad or twelve. They could do an album. They could do an album of this sort of stuff on, on two or three or four or five albums of this sort of stuff, and they seem to be happy in that comfort zone. You know, they seem to be happy in that place doing this sort of stuff. And again, it's a. I go back to what I said earlier. It's it's. It, this could be a really average song, but there's so many little bits going on um, within it, and there really are. Um, it's not straight down the line. It's really, really interesting stuff. It really is an album to listen to. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And and, and, that, that, yeah. and that's of its time, definitely. You know, forget where they're going. Because Love Drive, you know, as you know where you're going with Love Drive. <laughs> you just sit there and you just, and just enjoy the beef. Um, this is, yeah, far more complex, layered. Okay, let's flip the album over and uh, we're on to track two, side one, where the tempo picks up again and uh, we're listening to Robot Man, which, you know, fantastically drum and bass driven and Klaus uh, Miner's vocals dancing over the top of it and then it really kicks off and goes, uh, yeah, really, I love Robot Man. Really good song. Great way to kick off side two. But not typically Scorpions, is it? Again, weird, quite weird in parts. And, and the, the guitar work, there's a lot of shredding going on in there and um, and the, the whammy bars out and there's loads going on. I don't know what the – I don't know, did this count as good production or not? Because I'm, I'm not the man to ask. The band, or most of the band, obviously felt that Dix has – has got them going in the right place. Otherwise, he wouldn't have come back, would he? He wouldn't have been brought back to do, you know, the, the acres of albums that he did after this. And so clearly he's getting something out of them that they they feel excited about. So whether it's good production or not, it depends how you class production. 
are you casting production by the quality of the sound on the you know fifteen hundred feet of um, of groove, or are you saying the job of the producer is to get the band doing what the band should be doing? And if, if it's the latter, then I think Dix does that here. If it's the former, not so much. I'm with you. The I think he's he's really getting the band to expand their horizons. I think sound wise, it's one of the it's kind of presented on a plate production. You can hear everything. Yeah, not particularly mind blowing or exciting or thump you in the chest. You know, it, it's clear, it's balanced. I was about to say it's 1975, but it depends. I think then back then it really did depend on the equipment and how much money you had. Okay, so uh, track two, uh, sorry, side two continues uh, with uh, another slow song uh, called Evening Wind. Uh, I think Klaus Miner's vocals on this are superb. Certainly in the intro, they go perfectly well with um, Jimmy Page's guitar. Um, <laughs> Rudolph Schultz's guitar. That's in, I just I said very Zeppelin as my review. It's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite bluesy, isn't it? From what I've read, they did like their blues, um, and there hadn't been much evidence of it on this album so far, which has gone in a very different direction. And this is fantastic. Also, there's a, the finish is gold, absolute rock solid, double plated gold, nine carat gold. A little bit of chanting after Roth's solo. Yeah, another phenomenal solo, and then it's um, yeah, great finish. I love this track. I think it's brilliant. It's yeah. absolutely brilliant. It's interesting as well, isn't it? If you think about where they are and where where the fan base is, they're playing to a relatively small fan base here. They can they can experiment because that's what the fans expect. Yeah. And suddenly they hit pay dirt. They hit commercial pay dirt with Love Drive, and all of that freedom to experiment actually disappears. Yeah. Unlike a band like Metallica where they can just go out and write an album they want to write because it's going to sell a shit ton of uh, copies, the Scorps weren't that big. So they had to deliver what the fans wanted. So they were never going to do this again. No. And I think that's a shame, actually. Yeah, it is a shame. You go and see the Scorpions now, there's only one track with the word wind in the title they'll play, and it ain't this one. <laughs> <laughs> so side two continues with uh, the second track to uh, uh, feature Mark's new favourite singer. <laughs> um, in my hand, uh, yeah, and I, yeah, I think his vocals don't fare so well on this one, do they? I, I've got you trying to be an out of tune Hendrix on vocals. Hold on, this is the zoo, isn't it? In terms of the, yeah, the bass line, yeah, yeah, the yeah. bass line, yeah, the zoo, yeah, Man, so, yeah the, the, the title track, yeah, this is this is this is the Scorpions. What was Animal Magnus? What eighty, wasn't it? Yeah, or eighty one. Um, so this 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 is getting about six years on, yeah. Incidentally, we keep talking about bass lines and all these tracks. Francis Buchholz, if you don't mind, I mean, he could play a he could play a four string. He's playing through the whole album is superb. Now this one, um, it's the two sides of Roth in it, crap singing but great guitar work. So the next to last track of On In Trance is Looking for Fire with yeah with. A, a, Incredible upbeat, ranging bass on from Francis Buchholz, and then Klaus Miner's harmonies over the top. I really like this song; it makes me happy. I think it was um, it was down, it came down to it was between this one 
and the one that actually made it for the theme tune to Rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know whether I like this or not. I'm not sure I do, to be honest. Oh, it's a nice sing-along. I like. I, I do like it. I like the fact that within two minutes forty-five seconds, you can you can squeeze in two towering guitar solos. I think that's impressive enough in itself. And it's. Um, I think it's a good track. I do like it, especially after the relative dirge that was um, "Sun in My Hand." I'm now. I'm now feeling perky again. Well, I'll, I'll give Roth the solos definitely. Yeah. And so, in trance, finishes with an instrumental. The last track, an instrumental. There could be a thing there. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, on the Scorpions, uh, in trance, uh, Night Lights is uh, basically, uh, it's fine. Um, I think inoffensive is a word I'd use. It, it doesn't really grab me through to the end of the album. It's okay. It's not coast to coast, is it? <laughs> no. Definitely not. And then again, you can, you can imagine Pink Floyd doing this and the world would go bananas. <laughs> Which is why I've given it a 10 <laughs> <laughs> Okay, talking about 10s, or maybe not quite. Highs and lows, gentlemen. So um, my low was sun in my hand. And well, <laughs> I've got a feeling there's going to be a theme here um, in trance with, by, by quite a long way was my high. Yeah. Um, what well, I almost did. To, yeah, night light, sun in my hand. I've given them the same score. Um, but yeah, like you, um, in trance, genius, piece of genius. Yeah, that's three out of three. Sun in my hand is my low. In trance is just uh, one of their classics. Immense. Okay, so there we go. Uh, that's uh, the Scorpions' third album in trance done on our trip around Germany. And we now step into the 1980s and to Mark's choice, which is Gravedigger's War 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 not because I have any expectation. In fact, quite the opposite, because I have no idea what you two have thought of it. So let's um, let's just run through uh, the details for it. So this is by um, Gravedigger. By, by necessity, they are German. Uh, the album is War Games. It was released on February the 1st, 1986, recorded in November and December in the previous year and released on the Noise label. It runs to, well... 37 minutes, so um, 10 tracks, so pretty much in the same ballpark as in trance. It was produced by Gravedigger and a guy called Jan Nemec. Um, he was a Czech-German uh, record producer, not particularly well-known, had a, a sort of a, like a Heinz 57 approach to, or, or track record with um, bands from all sorts of different genres and types and what have you. Um, but anyway, he, he rocked up at Horus Sound Studios, his own studios in Hanover, to produce this. The personnel of the band at the time, uh, Chris Boltendahl on lead vocals, Peter Masson on guitars, C.F. Frank, or Brank, depending on which version of Wikipedia you believe, on bass, Albert Eckhart on drums, and Michael Flexig Flexig 
uh, on backing vocals throughout the album. Didn't chart anywhere in the world. Might have got into snuck into the lower echelons of the German charts, but nothing that um, that you'd be able to find. No, no idea how many it sold. Probably three. Um, but they actually—I mean—that's being slightly facetious because they had quite a big following, certainly in German. Ten tracks, um, five on side one, five on side two, so an even split. Keep on rocking. Heaven can wait. Fire in your eyes. Let your heads roll. And love is breaking my heart. Uh, it broke mine um, on the first side, and then paradise. Enola Gay dropped the bomb. Fallout. Playing fools. And the end on side two. A um, couple of. Uh, bits as well. One bit of trivia and one observation. Uh, the bit of trivia is that the band has never recorded two albums with the same lineup, and as an extension of that, they go through bass players like they're going out of fashion. So that's the basic album information, the basic band information. But the burning question on my mind all week has been what the fuck do the other two make of this? So over to you. <laughs> is that right that it's never been the same lineup on any? Because they've done twenty albums. Yeah, well, in the in the first iteration of the band, gotcha. So not not in the Reformation years. Yeah, yeah. No, these boys are workaholics, aren't they? In, in whatever guys. Or hey, Jan Nemitz. Before you write off Jan Nemitz, he was the engineer on Into the Pandemonium by Celtic Frost, a fine piece. Which when we come to doing Fight for Your Swiss People, um, <laughs> it will. Have... Ah, no, no, no. Fight for your Schweiz. <laughs> Fight for your Schweiz. It's good, it's good. Tyrolean magic. Beautiful. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I've not heard Gravedigger. I knew of them, never heard them, never had any real reason to think I wanted to hear them. So this was um, this was an education and one I thoroughly enjoyed. Anything on noise records is generally worth a listen because it just is. And listen, let's not pretend for one minute it's a piece of musical genius. <laughs> There's been a lot of levity, a lot of dissatisfaction, and a lot of headbanging, and a lot of comparisons and nonsense. If ever there's a band that was crying out for a decent internet translator, it was this one. Yes, I've never heard of them, actually, Gravedigger. Uh, so this was completely new to me. And, yeah, it's good fun. The riffs, really liked a lot of the riffs. Drummer's pretty nifty, quite happy with the drums on it. The vocals are um, entertaining, but it was good fun. Yeah, really did enjoy listening to this. So I was thinking about this today, and and I was thinking, do you know what? What I love about this whole process is I had never heard Gravedigger. I don't think I'd ever heard of them. I'd certainly never heard them. I would never have bothered to go and hunt out any of their material. I would have assumed, as I did when I chose it, that I was going to probably dislike it and i have really really over over the week i've i've really grown to like this album um you're right it's yeah there, there's so much wrong <laughs> there's so much wrong with yeah it. but it's been great fun and um is my life slightly richer for having bothered to to listen to it six or seven times absolutely and would i look would i listen to more from them yes i absolutely would so on that basis it's been a bit of a winner but um let's Put it on and um, and have a listen through to it and see what we think track by track. So uh, the album kicks off with a track called Keep On Rocking. Uh, and it starts off with what sounds like an orchestra. I thought it was an orchestra tuning up to begin with. Um, but I think it's just some sort of basic sound effects. And then All Hell is Let Loose. The Dogs of War Unleashed. 
and out the gate and often flying at 100 miles an hour. First of, I would say, four absolutely stonking riffs that come straight out the gate. And then the vocal starts and you think, hold on, I'm listening to Metal Church now, this is David Wayne. And the difference, of course, is that David Wayne is a better singer than Chris Bolton Dahl. And, and the, the chorus is a bit lazy. But in the end, you forgive all of that for the riff that runs underneath it, don't you? Yeah. Or maybe not. Well, it's, it's also the first of several lazy choruses. The lyrics will come to lyrics. There's a limit. They're limited and they just do what they do. But there's a yeah, David Wayne. And also David Wayne morphed into King Diamond as well in, in, in parts. It's, it's, it's quite, it's, it's not an easy, it's quite theatrical. Not, 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 not an obviously easy listen, but. Yeah, you know, you, you listen to this stuff for um, you listen to this stuff for the riffs, don't you? And um, yeah, they, they they don't disappoint. One pace, a one pace rattler. That's what we've got here. And um, yeah, very simple. Love the guitar solo in it. There's a nice key change in it, which is quite complex for Grave Digger, I think, as we'll as as we'll move on. Yeah, it's it's an explosive start, isn't it? Um, you know, I think it is. It was. I think it's orchestra tuning up at, at the beginning. Whether it's the old sort of a lolly oil to a false sense of security before belting you around the head with a mallet. Uh, I love the way the drums drive this track, and it, it is. I mean, it is a bit repetitive by the end. Yeah, by the end, I'm saying, "What? What's this song called again?" Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it, it's it's one of those songs that if you either you went to a gig and you didn't know the band at all didn't know any of their music by the time this song finished you'd be singing along you heard this in a nightclub and you didn't know who it was or what the song was by the end of it you'd be on the dance floor uh keep on rocking there is no g uh, in the title obviously (laughs) there's all gonna apostrophe which upsets me but um there you go track two so so heaven can wait uh, well, I got—I was in heaven the moment this riff started because this is right up my strata. Absolutely love this track to bit because it just keeps going. It's just absolutely relentless riff there, and uh, yeah, another extraordinarily lazy chorus. But I don't care. I don't care because I am transported by those guitars. I think it's fantastic. I just, I just, I just, it's a beef of a song. And um, yeah, lazy ass lyrics. It, that wasn't top of their to-do list, was it, when they started writing this? I mean, they should have just, they should have just Ramsteined it and done it in German and, and, and have do with it. Because um, none of it makes any fucking sense whatsoever. Nights will return on the ways be unknown. Times passing by and tonight turns to red. Yeah, okay, right. Uh, and, 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 um, and Heaven Can Wait. We know Heaven Can Wait. Lots of bands write about Heaven Can Wait, but they've timetabled it, Lesson Grave Digger. It's until tomorrow. They've timetabled it, and, 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 I, and I commend them for their accuracy. Uh, <laughs> listen, we can be as mirthful as we want. It's, um, it's a great song. This is the joy. This is the joy of this band, isn't it, in the first – and yeah. we lose it a long way. We lose it down the line. But initially, first thoughts, first couple of tracks, loving every minute. Yeah, and Peter Masson, what a guitarist. I mean, this is a yeah. colossal riff. It's really, I mean, just, just you know, but some harmonics and and yeah, really low crunching chords. Uh, yeah. So Heaven Can Wait uh, slides into Fire In Your Eyes, which is another track with just a colossal riff. And, 
you, you can't. I, I was sitting there going, thinking, just do instrumentals, lads. Just do instrumentals because yeah. it would be absolutely brilliant. And it's slightly ruined by by um, what's his name again? Bolton Dahl. <laughs> I keep kind of say David Wayne. <laughs> um, so it is slightly ruined by Bolton Dahl's lim- lyrics. And unfortunately, this is his band, so that isn't going to yeah. change anywhere down the line. But I can forgive it because everything else that's going on makes it a great fun track to listen to. This is this is a banger again, banger number three, you know. And also, you, when you reach this point, you can kind of pretty much predict how the album's going to go from now on. But the, the seeds have been sown, but it's not, it doesn't quite, it's not, if only it was that simple because the first three tracks are probably the best of them. There's a lot more going on in this track. You know, little there's a bass line dancing all over the place. There's keyboards. I, the, the, I don't know who plays keyboards. I'm not sure it's mentioned, um, but, you know, who cares? Yeah. It'll be a German, and that's fine. And it's all drowned out by the drums and the guitars, which are very, very, very loud on this album. Mm. Probably overdoing it, over-crunching. But anyway, I like fire in your yeah. eyes. So, so Steve said the first three tracks, the riff was... You know, the, the best riffs were on the first three. Uh, I would argue that the next... Next? One, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a different kind of song, but yeah. Yeah, so track four is um, Let Your Heads Roll and something about your brains doing something as well, but I was kind of, I'd lost it by then. I wasn't I wasn't really interested. Steve, what was the lyric? Come on, you've got it there. No, I haven't. No, no, sure. no. Sorry, I'm on the wrong track. I've got Seek and Destroy on. Sorry, let me, let me put it back to Let Your Heads Roll. It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah. Which is probably why I love it. Yes. Um, so this is this is this is about as Metallica as they get. Yeah. Uh, so it's that kind of just chugging, yeah. soaring riff, soaring with a W, S A W, not S O A R. So yeah, absolutely love this. It's probably not my favourite track on the album, but it's very close. Yeah. Very close. Yeah, no, they've they've, um, they've forgotten pace for weight with this one, haven't they? It's um yeah. proper heavy, proper heavy. It's good. Yeah, I, I echo everything you said. If I had one criticism, it really just doesn't go anywhere. I mean, maybe that's okay that you just have three minutes of of this riff, but but it, I mean, it really is just three minutes of this riff. <laughs> but listen, when somebody serves you ribeye steak, don't give me no lobster. I'm not interested. <laughs> just keep piling up the plate with the steak. Yeah. Sorry, before we finish, I said I wasn't going to mention any more lyrics, but if you want proof, <laughs> if you want proof that a band can actually rock your bowels, it's Gravedigger because they actually mention it in the song. We want to rock your bodies since we started the whole show. We want to rock your bowels. After all, it's rock and roll. I love that. I love that. Well, they wouldn't be the first band to rock your bowels. Would yeah, they? but to articulate it in song, that's brilliant. Priceless. This riff does make your inside shake, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. or, or do you think they're just trying to say, we want to rock the shit out of you? Yeah, that's probably it, yeah. Is yeah. that it? Whatever. Just keep doing the riff. Yeah. In fact, 37 minutes and 29 seconds of this riff would suit me very well. <laughs> Certainly a lot better than track five. Right, so track five. And from the very first piano intro of Love is Breaking My Heart, <laughs> there is a voice inside my head screaming, no, no, please no. Because given that the riffs are good and the vocals have been iffy, to say the, say the least, you know where this is going to go. And it's not good. 
to say it's not good is an overstatement or an understatement. <laughs> one of the two. It's fucking shit. It's just awful. Awful, awful, yeah. awful. That's the statement you were looking for. Wait, fucking shit. Forget the statements. It's yeah. horrible cheese. You know you get horrible cheese. It's the 80s. It's German. You know you're, it's, it's written in the book of Teutonic metal. This does happen. This will happen. And um, but I didn't think it would happen quite this badly. This is actually hilarious on very many levels and, and made all the funnier by Bolton Dahl's voice because – to say it doesn't suit this type of st- song is, um, yeah, one of the great understatements of all time. The chorus is horrifically naff. There's pianos everywhere, um, some weird harmonies. You just get a sense of a band completely out of comfort zone. Did they make the decision or were they told you must write a ballad? It, I mean, it, it's just so, well, it's, I wrote cheesy, but it's not cheesy in a nice way, say, like bad Steve was. His voice on this made me feel, uh, you know, similarly disturbed as, as the start to a cross the rainbow. Um, but it then didn't become enjoyable. That's genius. <laughs> well, do you know what? The word ballad is made up of two words, all and bad. And this is... Both of those things. There's one bit, there's one bit in it which makes me laugh every single time, which is when now in the song, he can't, he just doesn't, he can't hit the notes. So he starts speaking and then screaming because it's. That's what I do. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it's awful. I'm remarking actually, I'm listening to it again and it's not going up. And, And the tragedy is there's actually quite a nice little riff going on underneath it all. So anyway, side one comes to an end and we get Paradise, which is another out-and-out rocker. But although I really enjoyed this album, I've, re- I've enjoyed it front to back with the exception of track five, side one, I am starting to tire slightly of the predictability. Not the, not the execution necessarily, not the, not the songwriting, but just, just oh, it's another, it's another fast riff with, with not much variation on the theme. The riff's decent on this. I mean, it's not. It, it, it's not. Doesn't you know make you prick your ears up the the way that the stuff at the beginning of side one did. And yeah, it's a. I, there's a better one for me later on in side two, but these first couple of tracks for me aren't so great. I'm I'm really enjoying this. I think it's a proper proper get your head down riff. If a if a certain lady we'll be talking about later sings this, it's a it's a nine and a half out of ten job. But um. Yeah, I like it. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just, like I said, it's not the song that that I'm tiring. It's not the style of the song I have an issue with. It's the predictability of the whole thing. Yeah, it's 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 okay. It's okay. Explosive pace. He really is at the outer edge of his vocal range here. This was one of the more painful ones to listen to because of the vocals. So track three on side two uh, is called Fallout, which starts off, you know, in a sort of understated, fairly melodic way, which puts me in mind of a Dokken song for some reason. I'm not sure which one, but I'm getting a lot of Dokken in my head now. Um, It doesn't stay Dokken for very long at all, and that's no surprise either because predictability is almost an anagram of Gravedigger, and um, they don't disappoint. We've got 
another big riff coming, ladies and gentlemen. But it is a bit more 80s hair metal, don't you think? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. To begin with. Yeah, no, I do like... um... Yeah, well, that intro does sort of stand it apart a little bit, doesn't it? I was thinking, and I wonder why I was thinking of Metal Church, but I kind of got that kind of atmosphere that you would get with a Metal Church song, you know, when they go on one of their kind of, you know, ooh, scary tracks. And I was worried about this, anything that's, it's almost five minutes long, and I'm thinking, Christ on a bike. Um, but it's it's actually, um, I can see why it lasts that, because there's quite a lot of build to this. It's, it builds and flows more than most of their songs do. Doesn't necessarily make it any better, but it's um, it's quite theatrical. It reminded me of with the harm, harmonics on the guitar, a bit like a bit like sanitarium at the start. Uh, but I I really I like it actually. I think it's all right. The, the I like I like the how it builds. Yeah, sort of you know some nice you know ups and downs to it. Uh, some good riffs. But his vocals, his, at this point in the album, his vocals are starting to spoil songs. I think this is actually a really good song, but he he overdoes it on the vocals. So Peter Masson is definitely the star of this show, mm. without doubt. Yeah. So penultimate track on the album is Playing Fools. Again, no G on the end of playing, although there is an apostrophe this time, which puts me more <laughs> at ease. This is quite upbeat for Gravedigger. It's not doomy or ponderous or leaden or any of those things. It's not, there's not a lot of weight. It's quite light and breezy and in your face and up and at them, isn't it? I think this is, I think this is a little like treat. This. I think it's, it's, it's jolly metal. That's what this is. That's the genre they've got here. I, I love this riff. I think it's really, really good. And it's, uh, it's not the first track on the album, which is where the promise of the riff is let down by the chorus or indeed the pre-chorus or indeed both. And there's the weird bit in the middle, but it does go back into the riff, which takes it. It's the riff that it's really hooky. As we said on the on, on the, the last track, I mean, the, the, the Peter Masson's guitar is superb on this. Great riffs, re- really good solo. I like the solo. Apart from that, it's sort of far, fast, relentless. I feel I've heard it before, if I'm honest. And the album plays out with an aptly titled track called "The End." which is an instrumental. Now, we had an instrumental at the end of the first album from The Scorpions. We've got an instrumental at the end of this. I wonder if we can complete a hat-trick this evening. It's two and a half minutes long, therefore qualifies to be marked. Most of it, or a lot of it, is sound effects of rain and wind and sort of, you know, harmonics and what have you. I actually don't mind it. I've got a feeling that Steve doesn't have any time for it at all, which surprises me. Seriously? I mean, it's just, you had nine tracks, lads. Just just knock it on the head there, you know? I mean, I, I, I don't know what this is about or why, and I'm not particularly interested in knowing, and it's, um, yeah, just a bit misplaced. I agree. It's a, it's a bit of a non-song. If it was half the length and they put it at the start of the album and then it's that that, led in to keep on rocking. We'd have included it just as, you know, as, as an intro and it would have been fine. But it does feel like a bit of a spare part. Okay. Highs and lows, people. Uh, well, I mean, I've got, I've got to say the end. I would rather listen to the end than Love is Breaking My Heart, simply because I think it's, at least there's something interesting happening in it. 
you know, hourly, sonically. I, I, it couldn't go any lower and not get zero. So Love is Breaking My Heart is the low point for me. And, uh, yeah, I'm on Heaven Can Wait as well. That's the high. So there we go. Um, that is the is Gravedigger. Now, if we started this, well, if when we started this process, um, Gravedigger had come up as a potential album for review, we would have gone, don't be so bloody stupid. Nobody's going to listen to that. Why would anybody? But there we are. We've done it. And actually, it was a lot of fun. The scores will not be kind to it, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, and talking a lot of fun, that brings us to album three. And um, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do here, Richard. I, I suspect he's going to go full rat on us. But, Steve, <laughs> it's Warlock, it's Sorrow, it's True as Steel. Talk us through it. Opening album sleeve notes. Yeah, this is this is a bit of a loving. There's no two ways about it. Doro aside, Warlock are a great band. They did four albums in their original form. This is album three, True as Steel. And it was released in August 86, recorded in a couple of months before that. 11 tracks, concluding with an instrumental. And yeah, I, I just, I love Doro Pesh's voice. She's the vocalist on guitars. You've got Nico Arbonitis and Peter Sigetti, Frank Rattel on bass, Michael Urich on drums. It was a sea change, I think, from their first two albums, from uh, Burning the Witches and Hellbound, marked a different direction. And interestingly, in a direction that they almost accidentally went on, because when I've heard Doro interviewed, how this album came out wasn't as they'd imagined it at all. And and it's it's a fascinating interview. I wasn't actually listening to a word she was saying, I was just looking at her. But anyway, that's, that's... um, the, the words kind of went over me. Um, and then they finished and they, they did Triumph and Agony and then she was off. So, yeah, so this is, as I say, this is True as Steel um, on Vertigo in Europe, Mercury in the USA, which they were trying to break um, and never kind of did. Um, it only lasts 39 minutes. And the producer was Henry Starosti, who was a close friend of um, Doro Pesh, which is why she sounds so damn good on the album, I guess. And he had an awful lot of writing credits as well. So, yeah, true still, um, I first came across Warlock when, well, when you, Mark, would have played to me Burning the Witches, which was, um, you know, which was, uh, we'll definitely review later because it was, it was a very decent debut album, wasn't it? It was raw, um, certainly. Anyway, the bottom line is I instantly fell in love with Doro Pesh. That's, that's the truth of the matter. Because Kerrang! magazine very favourably used to do an awful lot of decent colour posters back in the day. And... You know, there weren't many rock girls like Doro around and, and therefore she featured in quite a few. And I remember when I was working up in Huddersfield on a local paper up there and um, on a sports desk and the, the, the walls of that office were daubed in, you know, Yorkshire County Cricket Club fixtures and fucking Huddersfield Town Club call contact numbers and Huddersfield Barracudas Rugby Club team pictures, all that shite. And I had two massive pictures of Doro Pesh behind my head, and the um, you know, and the sort of the, the curmudgeon of a sports editor would say, "What are you doing that fucking shit, Dan? Have you not got a picture of Boyks?" And um, and uh, <laughs> Doro's just a goddess, as far as I'm concerned, because she's a proper rock pinup chick, not not some not some weedy nonsense. She's forget all tassels and bells. She's leather and attitude and she rocks and she's got a great voice she was a graphic design apprentice by day by day 
the metal queen by night. And um, come on, boys. I mean, she's just heavenly, surely. Agreed? Yeah, I remember all those posters in, in Kerrang. Um, yeah, she was she was <laughs> in there quite a lot, wasn't she? And, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've really enjoyed listening to this, all, all three of the albums this week. I've probably, trying to think, I've, I've probably listened to this one the most. They made proper music, made, played it loud, played it heavy. They were great fun to watch. Um, as I said at the start of the show, I, I hadn't really just explored this album enough. In fact, I, I glossed over it. So sort of somewhere between Hellbound and um, Triumph and Agony, I lost I, I lost touch with it. Anyway, um, but she's not just a pinup and not just a rock goddess. She actually, I mean, she is so committed to the band and to her music that she has essentially rejected any sort of personal life, romantic life beyond the band. Her whole focus, everything about Doro Pesh is this band enjoyed listening to it and discovering it properly. I think I probably played it once mm. um, and then moved us on. And um, yeah, uh, it's been great. Really enjoyed well, it. Re- really enjoyed Yeah. It. And the reason I chose this album rather than the, pre- certainly the previous two, I probably wouldn't have gone with um, Triumph and Agony anyway, but the, the reason I chose this one because of, you know, because we'd just seen it, we'd just seen her at Donington and um, we went on to see them later in the year with Wasp, didn't we? And, um, and at Donington they played, Four tracks off this album, and you know she was making history as the first woman to front a metal band at, at, at Monsters of Rock. You know, I mean that doesn't sound great because there weren't that many obvious contenders for that anyway. I'd have thought, um, but it was a big deal. And she made the point that you know that they, they were little known before then, really. But, but on the back of that, they got dates with Priest and then with Wasp, and things started to take off, but never quite. And I think because she was so committed to her music and the band, she eschewed she shunned everything else that went with it she knows we know you just got to look at the woman we know that she could have been let's just say a sex symbol if she'd wanted to be and she just absolutely never wanted to go down that road at all she was only ever bothered about the music and playing it loud and playing it hard and um you know that's who she is and she still is now and i'm utterly commend her for that and um and i was yeah i just think she's got a blinding voice i think it's a brilliant voice so yeah there's an awful lot of good about this album i can't forgive them for the title of the first track which is called mr gold which i don't quite get well there must be a story there don't know what it is but beyond the nonsense of that what we've got here with warlock is it's it's just power metal it's classic riff laden catchy power metal and mr gold is a really really good opening track Um, a great tune i love this tune and doro's fantastic singing no not not the best backing vocals um, from the boys, but that aside, it's a wonderful driver to kick us off, to get us into the album. Um, yeah, good start. It is actually quite industrial, this album, in terms of the, the construction of it and the, the riffing is all very industrial. And I hadn't, hadn't quite clocked that back in the day, but I think that's what makes the album. It's, there's, there's a real hard edge to it. Yeah, it's in the, um, in the drum mix particularly the so the the drums are very 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 sharp yeah i get what you mean about in, industrial it, it's it's yeah it's a very hard drum set i i think this is a, an okay opener I, I as i was listening to the rest of the um the songs I, I was thinking would there have been a better start than this one 
this doesn't feel like an obvious track one to me. Yeah, I, I did some research just to see this whole Mr. Gold thing because there, there are references, obviously, to the devil in the lyrics. There was a, a, a film or a program called Once Upon a Time where there was this, uh, it, it said you're a Mr. Gold character in there, also sort of linked to Rumpelstiltskin, who appeared to be doing deals on behalf of the devil. You know, obviously with the Brothers Grimm, Rumpelstiltskin, uh, old, I think, uh, German fairy tales. So uh, I wonder if that's why it's got such a, (laughs) in English at least, a weird title. Uh, Yeah, possibly. Yeah, very good. I commend you for that. But the other thing to notice with this album is, 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 is you're already getting a sense of how much more polished it is than Burning or Hellbound. You, you can tell it's been engineered very differently to its predecessor, predecessors. Yeah, no, I think it's a great opener. I really do. Um, and track two is Fight for Rock, which is um, which was a single, and it earned them a lot of airplay. Well, not a lot of airplay. It earned them some airplay on MTV. They were never going to be. They were never massive on um, well on any TV channel. Possibly something in Dusseldorf, but it's a proper mid-eighties rock anthem, um, which could be fairly average, but it is elevated by Doro's hugely distinctive voice, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I like it. Really like it. Tons of energy. Good sing-along. But I, this is one of I was thinking: should they open with this one? I think this is a better track than the first one. Fight for Rock is where Warlock wanted to be i think um so right there commercially accessible but without compromising their roots and and kind of what they believed in in terms of the music they were making at the time um and i think it's more i think this track is more of a statement about the band's ambition than the the opening track personally mm. yeah i think it's great it's got a great line Great. Doro, interestingly, thinks that, that their sound was compromised in the production of this album. I mean, that they, she had her friend producing it, Henry Starosti, but by, when it went to America, they said the demo sounded more like Metallica, really rough and really heavy. Uh, to, uh, and, and they did the recording in Germany. And then Michael Wagner, who we've talked about before, took it to Amiga Studios in Hollywood and basically remixed the whole fucking thing. And then Henry Starosti went out there, the producer, to start banging on doors and say, the band don't like it, and they wouldn't let him in. So th- this is not how they wanted this album to sound. She's got a lot of affection for it, but she said this wasn't the sound they wanted. It's far slicker and far more polished than they actually really right. wanted it. And th- th- she said there was some real anger amongst the band. So it's a fascinating story about how much you know control, mm-hmm. um, you know, or well, the engineer yeah. in this case had over it, and the record label, the American arm, who wanted it to be big in America. Yeah, so Truer still hits you in the hits you in the nuts with Mr. Golden Fight for Rock. And then we get Love in the Danger Zone. And over the first couple of songs, I was trying to figure out who Doro reminds me a lot of vocally, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Until we get to track three, Love in the Danger Zone, which so sounds like Tesla's modern day cowboy. And then it dawned on me, there's bags, there's bags of Jeff Keith in her voice that kind of Jeff Keith strain. Um, that's who she reminds me of. I love this track. And the reason it puts you in mind of that is because the sound is very yes. Tesla. The guitar sound is very Tesla. And the song construction is very Tesla. This could be on the great radio controversy easily. 
And given that I love Tesla, you know, it follows. I love this. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think this has got the riff of the album so far on it. I What I also like about this song is the variation in her vocals. She dials it back and up and down, and uh, I really, really like that. I said to you during the week, didn't I? I wouldn't write this off, off as a top 20 album at all. I just think it's so consistent, and it just keeps getting better for me. Track track three is the, the, the track of the album yeah. so far. Okay, so oh, okay, so Mark says it keeps the album keeps getting better, but now we come to speed sound, yeah, until now, um, which is as the title suggests, speedy, um, and r- rather more reminiscent of some of their earlier stuff. That's fair enough, isn't it? Um, just feels, I don't mind it. It just feels, a, it just feels a wee bit out of place after the first three tracks. Again, nothing wrong with it at all, um, but. You know, when you've just heard a, a, a Doro Pesh vocal masterclass, which you have in Loving the Danger Zone, I, I, this just all sounds a little bit like hard work, a little bit frantic. Yeah, they've taken the riff from Hellbound, reinvented yes. it. And ended up not yeah. quite as good. Yeah, that's a fair comment. It's too fast. It's not a bad track, but... Coming after the previous one, it, it, it sounds a bit more one-dimensional to me. Um, track four is Midnight in China. Obviously, this is German HM land, so night is spelt N-I-T-E. That's obvious. And we're back chugging. We're, we're, we're chugging again with a um, God, this great track, great track. But a few, um, a few kind of well-worn cliches thrown in here, like the, you know, some sort of orgasm sound and a little dollop of accept style chanting, which you have to have if you're German. But just a very enjoyable rock romp. I like Midnight in China. Nothing wrong with this at all. Serve up cliches as much as you want. Don't care. I could listen to this yep. all night long. It's the kind of the the bridgey kind of hook chorus, Midnight in China, caught, stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea. Love it. Absolutely love it. I was I was in my element. <laughs> it's a beast of a riff, isn't it? Absolute beast. Uh, it's a triplet chug. What makes this? It says one to three, one to three, one to three, one to three. Da 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 da. It's that machine gun kind of. Uh, that that's what makes the the song. Yeah, I like the quote where where she'd have dug up Devil and Deep Blue Sea, which I'm presuming is a pretty standard. I I. I yeah, English or American origin, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't think well, it's, it was a very interesting line when I heard her sing it. Yeah, it's the, the rhythm of this song carries it really good. Um, so that's side one, uh, tucked up and in bed, and we move on to side two, which begins with Forfaits All Right. I probably pronounced that wrong, Mark's our resident German, as in he reads more Rammstein lyrics than I do, so he probably can pronounce Forfaits better than I can. Um, Forward all right, I think that's translated as. And that just about sums it up. Um, it advances the album by about four minutes and it's all right. It's more than all right. Do you? I love this. This, is just, this album is just amazing. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's, um, it's very, very Germanic, this track. Yeah, it's very kind of anthemic, exactly what you want from German heavy metal. I... 
you know, if they were going to go and do anything after midnight in China, this this is it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, did this? Did they? Can you remember what they played at, at Donington? Did they play this? I imagine this track is absolutely killer live. Yeah, I don't, they played four tracks on the album, and I didn't write them down. I don't know. I can't remember clearly. <laughs> yeah, re- re- really like the riff on it. I always find it. I just find it astonishing that they that they weren't bigger that they didn't make it in America because they kind of aspired to, didn't they? I know she didn't speak particularly good English, but that shouldn't have, that shouldn't have held them back necessarily. And they were, yeah, they were, they had labels marketing them out there. They just didn't happen. Did it? You think it should have been a big draw to an American audience. I don't know. Um, and the next track is true as steel. I don't want to underplay it. It's, it's, it's fine. It's, one of the weaker tracks off the album. It's a it's a jolly sing along, and it's you know at, at three minutes twenty, it's over nice and quick. If it's not your cup of tea, yeah, it's this is basically okay. A few flashes of interest in it, but it's um, it's yeah, it's okay. <laughs> you got you're struggling. You're trying to be kinder, aren't you? But you can't quite <laughs> can't quite find the data and the justification to be. I know. And I agree with you. I know exactly what you mean. It's it's perfectly all right, but it's it's not up to the standard that we've had for most of the album. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> it, it, it's a very it's a very derivative nineteen mid eighties hair metal song. It's it's not remarkable in any sense. Yeah, Michael, I like it. Michael, I like it. It's, um, it's slower. I I like uh, her voice in the. Versus, I, I think it's got a good, really good chorus hook, and it's a good fun sing along. Yeah, I, I sing along. I've done sing along. I'm, I'm with you on that. I just, I just, I've got a sense that the best has happened. Although there's still a couple of goodies to come, but um, very goodies to come. But um, yeah, this is this is a this is a taking stock track in my book. But luckily, we can move it on. So if Truest Deal was a hiatus, then we're back um, with a, well, it's quite a kind of Dokken-esque tune, Lady in a Rock and Roll Hell, which is oh, just just priceless. It's um, just a really good, as good a tune as you're going to get on this album. I'm not, enti- I'm not entirely sure that Doro's window-cracking vocals actually suit it that well. Um, she's far more rocky than this but it's a great song mm. you're not sure no 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 I'll see about your comment about her vocals I, I really like her vocal on this funny enough I just think she's not changing what she does and yet the song has changed yeah maybe yeah maybe I get that the other interesting thing about this song is it's um the, the one thing we've hardly mentioned so far and it's probably because we don't know much about the band is the almost absence of any decent guitar solos, and there's actually quite a good one on this. Peter Sigetti finally gets to um, fiddle his fingers a little bit on um, on this track, and it's a really good solo, really probably the best one on the album, in an album that's kind of short of them. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Yeah. But maybe that's the strength of the album, is that there's no great sense of the band having to indulge the lead guitarist. No, no. And also, when when the producer... Is a close family friend of the singer. I think we know where the I think we know where the emphasis is going. Well, this is the point at which you see. I think Warlock became Doro. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. 
Okay, Rich, what do you think of um, Lazy in Rock and Roll Hell? It's okay. It, it's fine. I prefer True Still. Okay. And so to Love Song, Bizarre Opening. Doro walking through her kitchen, I think. Yeah, and just saying, okay. And then, and, <laughs> and that's it. Here's your cheese, boys and girls. It's it's love song time. It's German metal, so a little bit of cheese. There's some big chords in here. One or two nice guitar runs. Doro, her deliciousness, deliciousest. <laughs> Plenty of emotion. I like it. It's not an easy thing to say. I've had a couple of couple of glasses of almond yet, but anyway. I, I tell you what, it's funny, isn't it? How how time alters your perceptions. I remember. I remember this like I remember liking this a lot back in the day, and then put it back on this week for the first time in donkey's years, and was instantly underwhelmed. Um, but it's grown on me again as the week's gone on. I think it's one of those tracks that grows on you. I think that's all. She holds it all together majestically. Um, I really do think she does, and it rises and it falls. And I've, 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 I'm back in love with it. Oh no, Mark, your face says otherwise. What's my face say? It says you're not quite as in love with it as I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, uh, for me, this is the track of the album. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love this. I think it's just perfect. Absolutely perfect. Well, I'm never playing cards against you then because I've never got that from your face. <laughs> Good. I think it's different. It's not her at full pelt. Yeah. She's not, she's not, you know, kind of pushing against the bars of her own vocal range. I think it's, I quite like the concept of it. I think it's a lovely kind of little thought, isn't it? That everything she sings is for somebody, uh, for one particular person. So, you know, yeah, I, I was really quite surprised by this because it was obviously going to be a ballad. And I thought, yeah, Doro ballads, they're okay, aren't they? But no, I, I absolutely love this thing. It's really, really good. Not quite as mad for it as Marcus. I, th- I, th- I think it's very pleasant. There are similarities between this and yeah, one or two of the songs, including the way Klaus sings them on, um, on In Trance. Um, there is something about the... Uh, the German rock ballad, isn't there? Yeah. It's a very unique entity, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. It's uh, not as good as some of the other other songs on this album for me. By the way, just before we move on, uh, Warlock at Donington played in order, Earthshaker Rock, followed by Shouted Out, followed by Four Vets, All Right, All Night, Love in the Danger Zone, Fight for Rock, Burning the Witches, True as Steel, and Hellbound. Okay, so the penultimate track on side two is Igloo on the Moon, parentheses, Reckless, close parentheses, and one of the tunes of the album. I think it's a monster. Love it. I agree. Don't need to say any more. Yeah, again, we have one more track to go. Um, This is the decent finish on the album. I bet this is good fun live. The only the only issues that issue that I have with this album is that it is it's very of its time. So was, there was a lot of this about it's, in nineteen eighty six. Steve gestures, and your point is, <laughs> yeah, quite, yeah, and that's a good time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I love it, but 
if you were going to compare True as Steel as an album with everything else that was going on in 86, there are other things on this album that are different to what else, to everything that's going on. This is more kind of in the flow of the genre, in the swim of the genre. That's, that's all I'm saying. I'm not, it's not a criticism. No. That's quite interesting that she, she made the point that this was departing in a slightly more commercial direction than the previous two in the same way that Twisted Sister had just done with, and I forget which one it is. What's the one which is um, come out and play on it? Yes. Come out and play? There was that kind of, all those bands that had been kind of genuine rock metal bands were now kind of being seduced, lured into the, uh, into the realms of the clutches of MTV and trying to make it big on radio, weren't they? And um, yeah, I guess Warlock, unintentionally, as I explained earlier, you know, kind of fell into that trap a little bit. Yeah, although I think they benefited from that, whereas I think Twisted Sister only ever, yeah, Twisted Sister released two good albums. Yes. In my view. Yeah. Yeah. I think Twisted Sister suffered through going down that commercial rabbit hole, whereas Warlock probably benefited from it. Uh, yeah, and as Richard says, Igloo on the Moon would have made a fantastic final track, but it's not the final track because the final track is a track called, and I'd love to know what it's really called. All I've got is T-O-L. Don't know what it stands for. Maybe one of you guys knows. And it's the, completes the hat trick of instrumental climaxes to our albums on this episode. And it's, well, it's the best of the three. It's quirky, but it's just, there was no need for it really, was there? No. It's an interesting instrumental. Hmm. Do you do you think that we're just a bit intolerant of instrumentals? Because I think this is good. I mean, not as good as the rest of the album. Yeah. But there's nothing wrong with this. No, no, but, no, no. no. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we will happily kind of sit and drip man juice over Orion and all of the other Metallica instrumentals, but we seem to be less tolerant of other bands. Well, I think I think the problem with all three of these is they're all around two minutes and they feel like filler as opposed to something that was constructed as a song that's going to knock your block off but doesn't happen to have any vocals. Yeah, fair enough, actually. Very good point. Yeah. yeah. And, I've, I've, and I've not marked it unfavourably, but it's I've not marked as highly as most of the other stuff off the album and it's just... Yeah, I mean, Coast to Coast is a classic example of what you can do with an instrumental. And, uh, and, yeah, there's, and there's many of them. There was just no need. You had 10 tracks. But anyway, that's not going to leave a sour taste in my mouth, having listened to uh, True Steel for the umpteenth time this week, because um, I, uh, I, I think it's a really, really good piece of work. I, I, it's very different to, as I say, the two albums before it. Far more similar, I think, to Triumph and Agony, which I need to revisit again, because I think it's of that kind of, of that kind of style. But anyway, an evening in the company of Doro Pesh is an evening to be enjoyed. Um, boys, your highs and your lows? So my low was Speed of Sound and my high was Love Song. Uh, T-O-L, my low, and my high was Love in the Danger Zone. Yeah, I'm with you on Love in the Danger Zone. Um, and True as Steel was my low. So there you go, all three albums done. Uh, we're going to mark these things and uh, we'll come back straight after and let you know how they've done. Reviews complete. Initializing rating process. Right, so here we go with the scores for this episode 30 of the Enter Sad Men podcast. So I went first 
this time round with the Scorpion's third album, In Trance. How did that do? Well, Steve gave it a 6.75, Mark a 7.43, and I gave it a 7.2, which gave it an overall total of just over 7.12. Mark, how did Gravedigger's War Games fare? Well, better than it might have done had I been predicting the scores at the beginning of the week. So Steve scored it 6.45, I scored it 6.14, and you, Richard, scored it a 6.3 for an overall score of 6 points, shade under 6.3, let down by two um, absolutely, well, one appalling and one certainly below average uh, track on, on the album. So... If they hadn't had those two interests, you know, who knows what would have happened. But, yeah, 6.3 for Gravedigger. Richard? Uh, no, Steve, rather. Warlock. Yeah. Well, I thought I liked Truer Steel, but I'm, <laughs> clearly I'm not the Doro Uber fan of the three of us. Um, I gave it 7.409. Richard gave it 6.95. But Mark gave it an astounding 8.28. So he loved it. Said he loved it, and he's uh, he's put pen to paper and proved thus. Uh, and the overall score for True As Steel is seven point five four eight four eight. So I reckon we hop over to the Hall of Fame uh, and let's find out where these three albums sit. It's time to put the rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. Right. So here we are in our hallowed Hall of Fame, and. Amazingly, we're now looking at the plaques of 90, count them, nine zero albums. And where have our three from Germany fared on this episode? Well, uh, War Games, Gravedigger uh, from Mark is in at number 84. Uh, so uh, a place up from uh, Ingve Malmsteen's Rising Force. So uh, Mark will be very pleased with that. Scorpions in Trance uh, comes in at a reasonably respectable uh, 65, um, just ahead of Hair of the Dog by Nazareth and uh, a place below Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind. But the standout winner from uh, this episode uh, coming in at number 40 in our Hall of Fame is uh, Warlock's True as Steel. They sneak in just above Skid Row's Slave to the Grind and are nestled just below Metallica's Kill 'em All. So that says a hell of a lot about how we th- what we thought of that album. Yeah, it pisses all over physical graffiti as well. Said <laughs> <laughs> uh, a spokesman for Brian Tatler. <laughs> I'm just looking at the bottom end of that board and... And I'm feeling bad Steve's pain now because there's some there's some shite down there and, and I feel they don't deserve to be in amongst that awful company. I really don't. I need to I need to I need to rethink my scores for killing the night. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear. I, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, killing the night comes below undertow by Tall and below Blues for the Red Sun by Caius both of which were anchored at the bottom of this list for quite a long time. And like you, Steve, I don't think... I I enjoyed listening to Bad Steve in a way that I can never claim to have done uh, for either of the the aforementioned albums. So, but, you know what... The the fun value, with the fun value, Mark, it wouldn't be there. It would not be there. 
No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. You know, but we've unfortunately <laughs> we've boxed ourselves into a corner, haven't we? So it is what it is, and and I think you know, in the end, uh, we're trying to judge these based on the musicality and you know, a whole bunch of other stuff, and benchmarking them against other other tracks, and in the end, it just comes where it comes. But no, I I, I completely get you. I completely get your pain. Yeah, and I'm guessing there won't be too many Scorpions albums at 65 in the charts come the come the final glorious reckoning because they've got their big beasts are yet to come. Yeah, I mean there's there's only one more for that band to go, isn't there? Yeah, I mean I mean for for an album they recorded in 1975, it's a solid start, isn't it? Yeah. So there you go, three albums placed in our Hall of Fame. That was Fight for the Reich our trip through German rock and uh, I look forward to revisiting that again because um, yeah we've had a blast looking at German metal over the years and there'll be more to come I am sure we hope you've enjoyed the episode as much as we've been enjoying it and we will see you all next time all music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.